0: on how you buy hello to everybody who's feeling depleted it's beautiful shorties it's half an hour it's one phone call it's no names it's no holds barred
1: i'd rather go one-on-one i think it'll be more fun and i'll Hi,
0: everybody. Chris Gathard here. Welcome to Beautiful Shorties. If you are just joining us with these shorties, they're half hour calls. Why are we doing this? Because we filmed a video version of the show for a service called Topic. Go to topic.com if you, wanna, if you want the info on how to see it. We used four of the calls we did, but we, we took many more calls than that. And Topic was super cool, it's letting us use all that audio, get these stories out to the world. And I am into that. I tell you, this one, I have not stopped thinking about it since we recorded this call. This is someone doing good work for the world, trying to help people in need, and specifically uh, talks a lot about diapers. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm a dad. I had no idea what diapers really do and the effect that they can have. You'll you'll see what I mean. This this one was eye-opening to me.
1: Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hey. Hi. Chris? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So exciting. I didn't think I would ever get through.
0: Welcome to the show. Thanks for uh thanks for calling in. Means a lot.
1: Thanks. How are you doing?
0: How am I doing? I'll tell you what, I'm uh, a little tired, a little stressed out, but I'm also well aware that I have a very good life. How are you doing? A
1: mm, little tired, a little stressed out. Also aware I have a very good life.
0: So we're right on the same that page. A, a,
1: yeah, it's Friday afternoon for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's uh, What's going on?
1: Well, I know you have a new baby. How's, how's that going?
0: It's the best. It's, it's, he's such a joy. He likes to laugh. He likes to smile. You know, he's coming up. He's between 10 and 11 months, so we're really getting a sense of his personality. And it's uh, he, my wife keeps saying he's, gonna, he's clearly going to be the kid who, like, toilet papers the neighbor's house. And then when we force him to go apologize, he comes home with fresh baked cookies. Like he's going to be like a Ferris Bueller, <laughs> bad kid people. He nice. already is that. And it's the best. It's so much joy. That being said, who is it a lot of work? It is a lot of work. And there's a lot of fear and exhaustion involved. Oh my gosh.
1: I'm sure I have so much respect for parents. Um, I Actually, so I'm a, I'm a mental health researcher and uh right now i'm i'm doing uh, a lot of work with new moms um, specifically lower income moms um here in the city where i'm located and um you know we're really looking at the impact of diaper need on maternal depression and postpartum depression and so you know i figured you have you might have things to say about diapers but also i think it's something that folks don't know a lot about and you know Thinking about how it impacts, you know, both child health in terms of UTIs and diaper rashes, uh, but also how it impacts maternal depression. And actually, we found here in our city that diaper needs, so just not having enough diapers to change your baby as often as um, they need to be changed, was the greatest predictor of postpartum depression than food insecurity and housing instability.
0: Wow. That's uh that's shocking. So if I'm piecing it together, does this mean there are people who are lower income, they find that they can't afford the endless stream of diapers that one needs? And does it add to postpartum depression in the sense of makes people feel like they're unable to provide or that you know, their their financial situation is making this innocent kid put their health on the line? Is it that type of stuff that just adds to the stress and the emotions?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is like the first thing is there's no government entitlement or supports to purchase diapers. So even if you um, receive SNAP, which is food stamps, or WIC, which is the Women's Infants and Children's Program um, of SNAP, uh, you can't buy diapers with that money. Really? Um, because some because, um, probably old I mean, old white man who hasn't changed a diaper maybe ever, but at least in like the last 60 years, you know, wrote the federal guidelines of what you can and can't use these uh, resources for. And diapers are not considered a basic need for babies, which just like, when I found that out, I am just like, this is the... Most bananas thing. Yeah. Literally the literally the program is set up and has women's infants, and children in its name. But you can't buy diapers.
0: That's shocking. So people who are low income to the degree that they get assistance can't use right. it for the assistance they need. Right. That's Someone needs to fix that. Why is it so hard to fix these things?
1: I know. It's, I know. Ill- it's illogical. Well, it is. It just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, and, and part of it is like moving, you know, federal policy is super hard. But, you know, when, when my boss first, um, you know, did the initial research that showed it was a, um, a big predictor of postpartum depression, and she was talking about how Um, You know, we need to provide diapers or assistance for people to get diapers. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Rush Limbaugh said, well, that's a new, um, new definition of pampering the poor, which I was just like, this is so disgusting, but that's how people people think of it. What
0: a dickhead thing to say. What a
1: dick, right?
0: Well, it's also just like, I'm going to prioritize some cute catchphrase, the pampering the poor. Pamper, it's like, that's your priority here? Come up with a little catchphrase, come up with a hashtag instead of thinking about babies who have to sit around in shitty, pissy diapers because their parents I have to budget because they only have so many left and they, they're they like, we got to let this kid ride this out as long as, because here's the thing that I know being a new parent, especially in those first few months, you got probably, if I'm remembering right, like my kid still goes through four or five diapers a day. Then back then it could be six, seven, eight a day. So if this is a mm-hmm. thing that you can't afford them, every single one that goes, you must be like counting it down in your head. And Especially for newborns and especially for first-time parents, there's a lot of situations where you take a diaper off, you're laying the next one out to use it, and the kid starts peeing into it before you can even get it onto him. Because a lot of times when the kid, you know, for some reason, the instinct is like, oh, there's open air. Let me start peeing or farting or pooping. And me and my wife used to laugh. I used to call those two diaper jammers. I'd be like, that was, we've even had some three diaper jammers when the kid just keeps, you know, he'll start kicking and the diaper isn't even on yet. And then I look down and I'm like, oh, he's peeing everywhere. For me, I'm fortunate to have had some financial success in my life and some stability. But I can imagine if you've only got one bag of diapers and you don't know how you're going to afford your next one, every single one you throw in the garbage must cause stress.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing that's like so challenging is like one, you know, I'm sure you know, but when your baby is wet, especially if they're sitting in poop, like they tend to get fussy. If the baby has diaper rash, they're even more fussy. Ooh. So making it even harder to soothe the baby, you know, so if you don't have a clean diaper to put on, I mean, we, I've, I've talked to moms who, you know, just trying their best to be really good moms. You know, they're just in situations that are really difficult, and they're, you know, scooping out the poop and hanging the diaper up to dry and putting the diaper back on the baby, or, you know, using cloth—not um, cloth diapers, but just using cloth when they're in the house and just throwing that away. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, once it's once it's dirty. But the other thing too is right. So I mean, not only do you have a fussy baby, and you're already stressed because. You know, you don't have a lot of resources and you can't use the resources you have to purchase these diapers. But, um, you know, most um, daycare centers or, or child care centers require you, even if it's subsidized child care, you know, require you to leave a week's worth of diapers up front. Yeah. And if you don't have a week's worth of diaper, you can't, you know, <sighs> drop your baby off. Which means you can't go to work, and right, we have all these new, uh, you know, work requirements for people who are getting um, Medicaid and different assistance. And I mean, it just turns into this uh, shit show. To be honest, I didn't mean that as a as a pun, but I mean, kind of.
0: It worked. Uh, it worked as a pun and a point. Well done. Thanks. Well done.
1: Thanks. Thanks. I'll take it.
0: <laughs> well, this is one of the things it drives me nuts and again i'm just i'm a 40-year-old white dude who's had it pretty easy in life i got a college education all these advantages and you sometimes see people putting stuff on the internet in particular oh man all these people exploiting the system these welfare systems we got to cut them and it's like I am sure there are people who abuse the system, I'm sure. You hear stories in New York, like a lot of the longstanding projects, you know, the housing um, that the city, like low-income housing, a lot of those neighborhoods have gentrified and you hear about people who are like, you know, misreporting their income to stay in the housing because they now live in a neighborhood with, you know, that's got a lot going for. it. You hear, I'm sure, but I have to imagine the large majority of people People aren't signing up for government assistance because they want to live life like it's a vacation. The large majority of people aren't doing that. It's because they're slugging it out. And then you hear about things. This is so eye-opening to me. You can't get that. Of course. Of course this feels like such a downhill tumble in your life. Same way that you hear... Everything you hear about the homeless in New York, it's like, should I donate money? Should I donate food? Everybody says, no socks. Because what happens is people don't have socks. They walk around with wet feet. They get problems on their feet. It means physically they can't even work. It means there's all these smells, more social stigma. Socks, please, we need socks. You hear about, I hear so much about how a lot of what happens with the working poor in more remote regions is people have cars to get to work Their cars are old, they can't afford a new car, the car breaks down, now you can't get to work, now you don't have a job, now you're trying to just scrap together enough money to get, not to put into your new car, but to get your shitty car back up and running enough that you can maybe get another job. These loops that people get put in are unfair. And anybody who sits there and goes, people are just trying to live off my dime. It's like, these people have nothing. These people have nothing. And most people in that system, I have to imagine, are working as hard as they can to hold it together and get out of that system. And it drives me nuts when people judge the poor. Drives me nuts.
1: It's just, yeah, I'm so, it's so, especially, I just wanna be like, have you ever actually talked to someone who's receiving this assistance? Do you know how hard their life is? Do you know? I mean, I just, you know, I talked to my moms and I'm just like in awe of them. You know, I've chosen to not have children. I have some mental health, you know, problems. And so that's, you know, a road that I've chosen not to go down. But, um, you know, I have so much respect and admiration for parents because I mean, one, it's by far the hardest job out there. Two, you know, you don't get paid anything to do it, but now you have to support, you know, and it's very expensive. Um, to raise a family but then also I mean these are people who you know are hustling and who are you know working super super hard or trying to find ways to make enough money so they can be their kids so they can buy diapers but you know we make it so difficult for people to succeed and for people just to feel valued and feel respected and you know people a lot of my mom's you know talk about you know just getting being so judged not just by everyone else in the the public but by the people who are providing you know these assistance uh, programs and just you know I'm just like gosh have you ever just talked to someone and like really really heard their story and how they you know have come to the place where they are and you know I look I'm you know very fortunate you know white well-educated. I'm a researcher in a, you know, large academic institution, but now if I were to lose my job, um, you know, my husband's blue-collar and we don't pay, you know, blue-collar workers that much. I mean, we'd be, you know, if I were to lose my job and couldn't find gainful employment, you know, six months from now, we couldn't pay our mortgage. You know, I think we all just have this delusion, you know, who are gainfully employed or who have a white privilege and all these things that, you know, oh, this would never happen to us and I'm better and, just, you know, I work hard and so therefore I deserve all the things I have. But it, you know, I just, it, yeah, just blows my mind. Oh, Chris gets so angry.
0: Now I'm going to admit something to you. And this is yeah. a story I'm not proud of. And I've thought about it often. And especially it happened years ago, especially since my son was born think about this. This is one of the early breaking points that made me realize maybe I don't need to be a New Yorker for much longer. Because a a few years ago, I was walking down a street in New York. It was at night. And New Yorkers, you know, there are a lot of people on the streets who are clearly very needy people. And we're told over, we, we are socially trained to ignore them. And we are told over and over again that there are social programs in place. And that those programs will help people and and you can't give money to people on the streets because you don't know what the money's going towards. You hear all this stuff. So you become very socially conditioned. I was walking down a street and I walked past a CVS and there was a couple holding a baby. They said to me, hey man, do you have any money? And I just did the New Yorker thing where I said, no, sorry. And uh, they, they said, we just need supplies. We just need baby stuff. We're just using it for baby stuff and as a new yorker you get conditioned to go this must be a scam this must be a scam everything you hear people come up and everybody's got a story and you just become con- conditioned and i just kept walking and i got on the train and went home and that has that has haunted me that has haunted me for years cuz i still think they were holding a baby i could have walked in there and just said i could have said i still think about it i could have said i'm not i can't give you money but if you want to walk in here and pick out a whole bunch of stuff you need it I was at a point in my life where it wouldn't have been any skin off my back if those people walked out there with some wipes and some diapers and some ointments. And I just feel like being in this city that makes you cold, my instinct sent me in the wrong direction. And it's still, I still feel so bad. said a lot of emotionally raw things in the history of Beautiful Anonymous. That has to be up there at the top of the list. It's very true, though. Really, really true. Anyway, I've broken the momentum, and on the heels of that sadness, why not some ads? on how you buy okay everybody thanks to our advertisers now let's finish off this wonderful phone call i just feel like being in this city that makes you cold my instinct sent me in the wrong direction and it's still i still feel so bad
1: it's like such a yeah i can imagine especially in in new york but you know it is such a tough situation because you don't know what the best the best thing to do, because we are told these stories. Don't give people cash. Don't get, you know, they and, and you know, but I think to the degree that you know, you can you know, if it's nothing else to walk them, you know, walk with them into CVS and say, hey, you know, whatever you need, you pick it out. I mean, you don't have to pick it out for them, but you know, yeah. let them pick it out or let them say you know, that's what I do. Where, where I live, mostly around food is, you know, the place where people are is like kind of our, like, downtown main street and you know they're always asking for money for food and you know I'm like you want to walk into shake shack I'll you know get you a burger you want you know these different things and some people want it some people don't and you know they just need the money for other things and sometimes I if I have you know sometimes I give them money sometimes I don't it's it's hard it's hard you know it's a difficult thing but I think the thing is like right like when you stop and you see someone like that's an actual person um you know it just yeah it sticks with you these decisions but um yeah i don't know it's a tough one it's so tough but i think this is a thing is like you know people are people are people and you know especially white people you know we benefit so much from a system that is that is, you know, structured to dehumanize others and to to, you know, um, you know, racism and all sorts of disadvantages that, you know, we're like, oh well within myself it's because I'm such an exceptional person that I have all these things versus like, no, like so much is afforded to me that I don't deserve. I've had so many opportunities that, you know, have I am I'm thankful for um put me in a position you know that you know I'm, i'm not living on the streets but also i think we need to get rid of the delusion that like we are exceptional people and this is why we're not experiencing those things versus just life is real hard and certain groups of people are you know disenfranchised and because we don't like to share power and we don't like to give up power um but
0: yeah, I don't know. Oh, Amen.
1: Sorry, I feel like I feel like I'm on a soapbox now. gotta
0: Step off it. This is, not... It's <laughs> <Not> an, <laughs> it's a mind opening soapbox. I had no idea. It's one of those things where I had no idea it was an issue, and then as soon as you describe it, I'm like, makes total sense. Those things are expensive, and you need an endless supply. Makes sense. Now you mentioned I mean, you have incense, the soap. Like... oh no, go for it. Oh yeah, sorry. Go
1: ahead. No, well, I was, I was just g- gonna say, you know, like infants. Go ahead. You go ahead. I need to step off. I'm going to step off.
0: I was just going to say, you mentioned you feel like you're on a soapbox. And I do feel like I should ask you at some point, outside of your research and your issue, which is one that has both of us fired up, outside of that, though, what's your deal?
1: My deal? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, you know, just just a person hanging out. But like I said, you know, I do mental health research, but I also am a person who struggles with, Really, really severe depression. Um, And so, you know, I've dealt with that. And I know you've been so open, um, you know, about stuff you've struggled with. And and, I think the thing I love the most about the podcast is I actually was introduced to it when I was coming out of a, a pretty severe episode a few years ago. And I was, you know, I had been so depressed for so long that I was very, very isolated because just out of necessity, I needed to make my world very, very small. And then listening to your podcast, just normal everyday people talking about who they are and what they do and sharing their stories and, you know, everything from talking about like poop to, you know, losing your child to cancer. it, It really helped me get out of this isolated place. And just remember like, oh, there's a world out there, there are people, good people out there, um, and just not, you know, I, I wasn't, when I was first introduced to her, it wasn't a place where I could really, um, I was so depleted. I just felt like I didn't have anything else to give to people, um, but the isolation wasn't helping either, and, like, I think your podcast just, you know, it no matter what it is, no matter what episode it is, you know, helps people not feel alone you know um. well,
0: i'm happy to help and i'm happy you're feeling better were you were you doing the work you're doing before that because I, I tell you my shrink told me this years ago and it blew my mind she said when one of the first signs you're coming out of a seer- severe depression is that you feel very motivated to help others and you are now someone who helps others and and doing research that can help turn others lives around do you feel like those are uh, tied together
1: yeah I mean, so I've been doing you know mental health research broadly for the past you know nine years at a university. and you know, I started this pretty radical place, um, and you know that really was all about um, um, you know, people with lived experiences of mental illness as experts and what it is like to live and experts in their lives. and so, it was the first time I'd ever been around people who really valued and um, really valued people who who had these experiences. And I had, you know, had a lot of trouble growing up and was in and out of hospitals during high school. And, um, you know, I actually graduated high school from a hospital, which is crazy. Wow. <laughs> my psychiatrist, my psychiatrist in the hospital was like, the insurance company says I either have to send you to a residential facility or discharge you. Do you want to go to college or do you want to go to a hospital across the country and be there for at least a year? And I was like, I had already been in the hospital a month. And I was like, well, you know, this place sucks. So I guess I'll go to college. Which wow. Is, you know, it's <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> It was like such a crazy, you know, when I look back, I'm like, that was such a crazy, you know, those are two, so like could change my trajectory of my life significantly. And, you know, what an odd um, question to ask someone. But also, you know, I had a psychiatrist who saw something in me and, you know, I was smart and was getting into getting, you know, acceptance letters while I was in the hospital and, You know, I I did go to college. I had to leave my first semester because I was in no way prepared to be living on my own. Um, But I had a taste of something that I wanted really badly. And I know you don't like higher ed so much, but it was my (laughs) saving grace. Um,
0: I gotta stop saying that. I I gotta stop saying that.
1: I know. But you know, I was at I was at my school for like two or three weeks, and then I had to come back home because I was hurting myself, and just, um, you know, I needed a lot more support than I had there, but I had a taste of something that I wanted so badly. I was very motivated, you know, to try to, you know, get get myself back in control, find better coping strategies, um, you know, and, and ended, ended up going back in the spring semester and graduated, you know, on time with, with my class.
0: Good for you.
1: Um, for me, it yeah, was... Yeah, so, but but... Oh, go God. for it! No,
0: I was going to just say for me it was a, it was a good shrink and a bunch of medication. What got you over the hump?
1: Yeah, so I think in college, you know, it was, you know, it was this. I had found a good therapist. I had some good. Finally, worked my meds out, um, but I also just had. Um, really good social connections where I went to school and people who just loved me and supported me and my professors who I'm still actually very close with you know really invested in me not just as a student but as as a as a person and school is something that I like I mean obviously I'm I'm a researcher now so um but there was something of like it was something that I was naturally good at. And so also just kind of developing this sense of mastery while kind of doing all these other things. So I think it was, you know, friends and feeling like I belonged and, um, you know, and then since then I've had, you know, kind of different struggles. Um, but I, you know, the ordeal that was 2016, 2017 was, you know, probably by far my most um, serious uh, episode. And what actually got me over the line there and was ketamine. Um, ketamine. Finally, you know, found. Yeah. Special K. Special K.
0: The K-hole. Yeah. Didn't see that coming.
1: Oh, k hole, suck, man. Oh, oh.
0: Even under a doctor's care, oh, you can slip yeah. into the K-hole. The, for anybody listening or watching, the Ketamine is, is a type of animal tranquilizer that that a lot of people abuse and it's known to be pretty hardcore, but there's been, I don't know if it's like full spread or if it's clinical trials, but people use it for mental health now under a doctor's supervision.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I actually was in a clinical trial um, and that's how, where I'm at, you know, is a large research university. And so the clinical trial that I participated in um, and I responded really well to the treatment. And then because it was in a clinical trial, I couldn't get it outside of the trial. So then I ended up, you know, falling back into a really severe depression. And, um, you know, I had really at this point tried almost everything you know, tons of medications. I was like running all the time and making sure I was eating healthy and doing everything you know, that I could do, um, but just kept getting more and more and more depressed. And, you know, to the point where it was like, um, you know, you know was just chronically suicidal and exhausted because trying to function and like live your life while also trying to not kill yourself when you're really, really depressed is exhausting.
0: Yeah, you're um, telling me.
1: You know, it's so exhausting. And so, you know, I met with a colleague, I was just like, I don't know what else to do. And and he sat down with me and was like, you know, you need to go to the hospital. Oh, sorry.
0: That's okay. We'll bleep um, it.
1: Whatever. Um, You know, he was like, you need to go to the hospital and, you know, suggested I start electroconvulsive therapy. And actually that's what I did um, because I just couldn't access ketamine. And this was in 2016. Um, It's now a version of ketamine has been FDA approved and you can get clinically but um at that point it hadn't. And you know, I, I was in the hospital for a month. I had ten treat ECT treatments. So for those of you who don't know, um, you know, it's electroconvulsive therapy and basically they put you under anesthesia and give you a muscle relaxer and literally electrocute, you know, your uh your brain to induce a seizure. And, you know, we're not really sure why it works. It's kind of, you know, the hypothesis is it's a little bit of a hard reset. Um, and it is like for people who don't respond to medications, it, it is the best treatment we have. Um, and unfortunately, I was one of those people who didn't didn't respond. So I ended up you know getting discharged from the hospital and was still getting it outpatient and after 17 treatments wasn't getting better. And so um, I was fortunate that the the, um, the place where I was getting my ECP outpatient also does ketamine. And so, um, you know, I was able to get that um, through there. It was hard because my um, insurance wouldn't cover it, and it's expensive to pay out of pocket. Um, but through a lot of good luck and um, advocacy from my doctors and really all of us just being like there's not many other options, Um, I've, I've actually been able to receive free care. Um, and so the hospital gives me ketamine treatment still actually I had one yesterday, um, for free, which I know is like such a privileged, um, God, just like such a privileged thing. And so lucky, um, that that happened. And, um, I mean, it's dramatically changed my life, um, you know, but I think that experience, one, has just profoundly changed me. Um, and, uh, you know, I think has really, it relates a little bit to my soapbox earlier of, you know, people are just trying their best to get by. And I know that if I didn't have access to free care, like I wouldn't be here. And that is um, I mean, it's a problem with our medical system and how it's set up, but also like, man has like really, really made me so much more passionate and compassionate towards people of just like, you know, it's really shattered this. If you try hard enough, you can make it happen. You know, I was in this like, you know, I could will my way out of this depression and I, I couldn't. Um, and yeah, so that's what's going on with me.
0: Well, that was a series of stunning turns. We're actually out of time. I'm so uh,
1: damn. Well, yeah, no, I'm so glad fine.
0: you're okay. I'm so glad you're doing better. I find it remarkable that you're helping other people. And I gotta say, what a good conversation twenty five minutes on diapers and then a five minute thumbs up to ketamine. That was a hell of a call. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
1: yeah, sure. It was so great to talk with you. Uh, you're doing such good work.
0: Not like you are. You're doing yeah. the good work. I'm just an idiot with a podcast, uh, but thank you.
1: <laughs> well, thank you.
0: Caller, thanks again. And I tell you, I, um, I, I think a lot about your call. We, we recorded a long time ago and I found it unbelievable. And I remember, I remember ways that I've messed up and I want to do better. Want to do better? Thank you for uh, lighting that fire under me. Thanks for calling sharing your story. Thanks to Jared O'Connell. Thanks to Anita Flores, Jordan Allen. Thank you, Topic. Thank you, Shellshag, for the music. Thank you to everybody for listening. ChrisGeth.com. If you want to know more about me, talk to you next time.